The book of Acts chapter 20 tonight. I, uh, I don't have any plans on finishing Acts chapter 20 tonight. Um, I'm planning on finishing up next week. And then, of course, we'll take a little break around the holidays. And uh, then we'll start back up and finish the book of Acts in the new year. This chapter may be more than any other chapter in the New Testament reveals the heart of the Apostle Paul. It reveals his tenderness towards others, which is something that usually when we think about the Apostle Paul, one that we may think is more of a a task-oriented person, that this chapter really reveals his heart for people, his passion for people, his tenderness for people. One of the things that ministry can do to any of us after a while is create in us a hardness towards people. And what we have to be careful of as Christ followers is that we always allow God, no matter what people do to us, no matter how we are treated, no matter how maybe we are disappointed or whatever, that we always maintain a soft heart towards people rather than allowing our hearts to become hardened. We always need to allow God to continue to create in us the heart of Jesus Christ. The same heart that Jesus had while He was here on earth and the same heart that Jesus has even right now for all of us. That no matter how many times we may fail and disappoint Him, His heart towards us is a heart of love and a heart of tenderness. And I begin with that tonight because I I just felt like the Lord wanted me to pause for just a moment here at the beginning and just, maybe this is just for one person here, but just to say these few words. If, if there is someone in your life right now that you know you are becoming hardened to, Would you consider allowing God to make your heart tender towards that person once again? To not keep your heart growing more and more hard, but to keep it soft, pliable, and tender. Because as I said, all of us as we go through life, And as we minister and serve in Christ's name, we can all allow ourselves by interacting with people to become hardened, to become unaffected. And God, I think, wants to keep us tender because He knows that it is out of that kind of a heart that real ministry takes place. No one has ever effectively ministered for Jesus Christ 
from a hard heart. We just can't. And so we see this kind of heart of Paul here in Acts chapter 20. In fact, let me just point this out really quickly to you. A couple places here, and then we'll get into the passage. Notice in verse 19 of chapter 20, Paul reminds them that they knew how he was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Paul was emotional. Paul was moved. Paul had a passion. Paul shed a lot of tears over people and in his ministry. And then notice in verse 31, he says, Therefore be alert, remembering that night and day for three years I did not stop warning each one of you with tears. We may not associate tears with the Apostle Paul. As I said, many people look at him as a very task-oriented person. But through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life, Paul could both be a task-oriented person when he needed to be, but also a very tender-hearted, people-oriented person when he needed to be. And I think this was something he grew into, something that God grew him into. And that was why he was so effective. Because again, none of us can truly be effective for Christ in ministering to others if we develop a hard heart. And so we have those mentioned here in Acts 20. So let's go back then to verse 1. After this great disturbance we looked at last week in Ephesus where a lot of the business people were upset that through the preaching of the gospel that people were giving up their idolatry and that the temple of Diana would no longer be frequented as much as it once was, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The Bible says, Luke says, after the disturbance had Ended, Paul sent for the disciples after encouraging them and saying farewell, he left to go to Macedonia. And after he had gone through those regions and spoke many words of encouragement to the believers there, he came to Greece. I want you to notice here in the first two verses how much of Paul's ministry dealt with strengthening other believers. The first word here, the word encouraging in verse 1, means to come alongside to strengthen. That's what Paul wanted to do. And then the word encouragement in verse 2 means to instruct or teach others in a way to strengthen them. Not just to instruct and teach and fill them with knowledge and information, but to instruct and teach in such a way that they are strengthened. So we have here in the first two verses, again, sort of the heart of Paul, that it was always about looking to Christians to strengthen them. And obviously that also implies that Paul was allowing God to continually strengthen him so that in turn he could strengthen others. We are all to be in a continuous process of strengthening in our lives. God always wants us, as we saw last week, to grow deeper. He always wants us to grow stronger. And so we always have to ask ourselves as Christians at every season of our life and be aware of the fact, am I in a place where I'm growing stronger? What am I doing to grow stronger? What choices and decisions am I making as a believer in Jesus Christ to place myself in an environment where I will be stronger. 
And as I'm growing stronger, am I letting that healthy place that I'm finding myself in spiritually spill out to others? Am I looking for opportunities then to strengthen other believers and help them to become more firm, more stable, more rooted and grounded in their faith? This was the heart of the Apostle Paul. It wasn't enough for him just to lead people to Christ. He was always going back and making sure that the followers of Christ were being strengthened because we must grow stronger throughout our Christian life. If we're not growing stronger, we're automatically growing weaker. And disciples of Jesus Christ are continuously growing Stronger. Verse 3, where he stayed for three months there in Greece because the Jews had made a plot against him as he was intending to sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Paul was accompanied by all of these people here that he mentions in verse 4. Notice again that Paul didn't minister alone, that Paul always had people that were following him as he followed Christ. These were the people that he was in the company of or that they were in the company of Paul. And we understand again that one of the ways that God strengthens us is through other believers. So we must be aware of and be careful about who are we in the company of most of the time. Who are we, in a sense, following as they follow Christ? It's going to make a big difference in the trajectory and direction of our Christian lives. I'm sure these men that were mentioned here and and gals that were mentioned in other places in the book of Acts were grateful to be accompanying someone like Paul, but Paul turned around in places like at the end of the book of Romans and the end of the book of Corinthians And also said how much he had gained and how much he had benefited and profited from hanging around and being in the company of other believers as well. And again, it goes back to that iron sharpening, iron principle. And Paul always had a heart, not just to reach people for Christ, but to be around brothers and sisters in Christ and to do life together with them. To always be in the company of other believers Then verse 5, these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us in Troas. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and within five days we came to the others in Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Notice verse 7. On the first day of the week, which, by the way, is Sunday, the Sabbath is the seventh or last day of the week, and notice again, the early church started meeting weekly, Now, they they were meeting every day, but they also set aside at least one day a week on that Sunday where they would set aside time to gather together as God's people. And notice that the Oasis is not the only church that when they get together, they eat. Because people ask me, why do you always have meals and food and stuff? And I point people, it's biblical. Notice what happened here in verse 7. On the first day of the week, on Sunday, when we met to break bread, that is describing a fellowship meal 
that they shared with each other. They didn't just come together to go to church and worship God and and learn of Him through His Word. They would come together and share meals together. That was actually a regular practice of the early church. I know not everybody gets in to fellowship meals with their brothers and sisters in Christ. But I personally would like to see us continue that. I, I, I think that's of value today. You know, that we have times where we gather together and we break bread together. Now, if this didn't end the way it ended, uh, this would be a tragic story. But because it ended the way it did, you can also see a little humor in it, in a way. Maybe you think I'm warped, but... So I want you to see here, after they had this meal, the Bible says in verse 7, Paul began to speak to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he extended his message or his teaching until midnight. You think I speak for a long time. That's a long time to speak. And it says, Now there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting, and a young man named Eutychus, who was sitting in the window, was sinking into a deep sleep while Paul continued to speak for a long time. In fact, fast asleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. This young man died because Paul spoke so long. He just fell right out the window and died. But Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him and said, don't be distressed or troubled, he is still alive. I believe that this is a statement of faith from Paul. I believe Paul raised this young man from the dead. It was the least he could do since he had spoke so long that the young man fell out the window. And then the Bible says, because they had been there so long, they went back upstairs, and what did they do? They kept eating. Because it had been a while since they had eaten the first time, so now they broke bread again and had another meal. And then it says, after he had eaten, he talked with them even another long time until dawn. Then he left. Part of the reason why I find it here is like, I could only imagine what the reaction of of you and others would be if I said, now, when you come to church Sunday, just plan on packing a, a dinner or something, because we're going to be here all afternoon into the evening. In fact, we'll probably just stay all night, and maybe we'll finish around dawn the next day. Who's up for that? And I realize I am far from the Apostle Paul, so I, I get that. If Paul was doing it, maybe you'd hang in there for 12, 16, 18 hours. I don't know. But uh, it is interesting that, you know, back then, man, when people had the opportunity to hear the word of God from anybody, man, they, they took advantage of it. They seized the opportunity. I wish more Christians had that kind of attitude towards hearing the word of God. And then the Bible says, verse 12, they took the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. This word comforted also means to be strengthened. So we see here in the first 12 verses of Acts 20, different times where Paul, through his actions, through his words, whatever, was living to strengthen other believers. 
to help them to grow. And this was part of the heart that Paul had for his fellow believers. Again, I just want to say before we leave this particular part of Acts 20, that we be reminded that God not only wants to grow us stronger continually. And so, what are we doing to, right now, be growing stronger? But God also wants to continually grow us stronger so that we can be used by Him to strengthen others. Who am I strengthening right now? Who am I coming alongside of and encouraging and 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 encouraging them to be stronger spiritually and building up their spiritual strength. These are the activities and the focus that I think God wants His people to be involved with. You can imagine the dynamic if a group of Christians' focus was not only obviously on God first and worshiping Him, but then after that, on each other and how we can help each other to grow stronger. And that that was, you know, that was a primary priority of our lives. What can I do to help my brothers and sisters get stronger in the Lord? This was the heart of Paul. Verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship and put out to the sea for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged it this way. He himself was intending to go there by land or by foot. When he met us in Assos, we took him aboard and went to Melane. We set sail from there, and on the following day, we arrived off Chios. The next day, we approached Samos, and the day after that, we arrived at Miletus. He was just uh, just detailing his travel here, his trip through the region. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so as not to spend time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to arrive in Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Remember, Paul had this offering from these other churches that had contributed, and he wanted to get it to the saints in Jerusalem and be there by Pentecost. That was his goal. So from Miletus, verse 17, he sent a message to Ephesus telling the elders of the church to come to him. He wasn't going to take the time to go to Ephesus and and be with the spiritual leaders of the church of Ephesus, but if there was any way that they could get to him, he would so much love to see them and spend time with them as he went on his way to Jerusalem and then eventually to Rome. Verse 18, when they arrived, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived the whole time I was with you. The word know here means to gain an understanding through close and prolonged contact. Let me repeat that. The word know here means to gain an understanding that can only come through close and prolonged contact. So Paul is saying, I was in with you when we were at Ephesus, right? You knew me, I knew you. We we had an understanding of each other that could only be gained because we were close to one another and it was over a prolonged period of time. What's that speak to us about? Again, the heart of Paul, of wanting to be together with other believers and be accessible to them and have them accessible to him and to do life together. That's the only way they could know Paul at this level. It wasn't by Paul sitting in some ivory tower separated from everybody, but he was right down there in the trenches with everybody. It's the way God wants us to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
As I've said to you before, we can impress people from a distance, but we can only impact them up close. If we're truly going to influence somebody, that's going to happen only through a close and prolonged contact with people. So he says, From the first day I set foot in the province of Asia, I was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Now when we think of this word serving, obviously we're starting to think of action and doing things. But very interestingly, this word in the original language doesn't mean that at all. It actually takes a step back before you get into the whole action and doing things. Because the word serving means submitting, yielding, and obedient to. In other words, the concept that Paul's trying to get across in serving is that it, it's not so much the action and the doing as much as it, it's what happens before that. That as a Christian, I am placing myself at the disposal of God. I am surrendering, submitting, yielding, obedient to Him, and just saying, God, whatever you want. That that's really the essence of service. Because then God can ask us to do whatever, can can command us to do this, can, can lead us this way or that way. And it's that attitude, that heart, if you will, of surrender and compliance and all of that, that, that that's, the, that's really the foundation of all service. If I'm not making myself available to God, then the whole, you know, action and doing and all of that, but, but Paul's saying, if, if I come and make myself available to God every day, then whatever God has for me, then that, that'll take care of itself. Whatever action, duty, thing He wants me to do or not to do or whatever... That'll take care of itself. But God wants to see in all of us that willingness to yield and be obedient and submit to Him. The word humility not only means modesty, but it means to be aware of one's inadequacies and limitations. It doesn't mean to think that we're a nobody or nothing. But what it properly means is that I acknowledge and recognize that as a human being, even in my strong areas, even in the areas of my competency and and capability, I still have limitations. And what God wants me to begin to do is more and more acknowledge my inadequacy and limitations and more and more recognize and live by His adequacy and sufficiency and no limitations. That's the path of a disciple. And these things were modeled by Paul to other believers there in Ephesus with tears. In other words, Paul also didn't come into Ephesus cold, hard-hearted. He came with emotion and feeling and passion. And he was a man that was moved to tears many times throughout his time in Ephesus. Paul, in a sense, is giving us here his heart and showing us the heart that he had for ministry, the heart he had for God, and the heart that he had for others. And then he goes on to say in verse 19, And with the trials that happened to me because of the plots of the Jews. 
In other words, just because he was ministering for the Lord didn't mean it was easy. He had much adversity and affliction to navigate because there was always people who were trying to subvert what God was trying to do through him. And then in verse 20, you know that I did not hold back. I did not shrink. I did not back down from proclaiming to you, from making known to you anything that would be helpful. And from teaching you publicly and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul says, because I had such a heart for you, there was no way I was going to hold anything back. If it was profitable to you spiritually, if it was beneficial to you, I was going to share it. I was going to make it known. I wasn't going to be afraid of what you were going to think of me. I wasn't going to, you know, be, be afraid of what the reaction might be. If I felt that this was spiritually beneficial or profitable, I was going to make it known. This was the heart that Paul had for people. And now, he says, verse 22, compelled by the Spirit. The word compelled here means to bind, tie, or fasten to. In other words, what Paul is saying is that I'm not bound or tied or fastened to anyone except the Holy Spirit of God. We're hand in hand. And if this is where the Holy Spirit wants me to go, then I'm just following because I'm tied to the Holy Spirit. So wherever the Holy Spirit leads me, that's where I go. Because I'm tied to him. And Paul even again recognized this principle even when he was a prisoner tied to maybe a Roman soldier. He recognized that he wasn't a prisoner of Rome, that he was actually a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, God the Father had him in those prisons for a reason. And therefore he ultimately knew that he could look past the physical chains, the physical ties and binds and fastens, uh, fasteners that were tied to him in a sense, in a human sense, in a physical sense, because ultimately He wasn't tied to them. He was tied to God. And if this is where God wanted him, so be it. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem without knowing what will happen to me there. He says, I I, I don't know all that's going to happen to me there. But he says, I do know this. That the Holy Spirit in some way has prepared me and, and given me a little bit of of a forewarning, if you will, about what I'm going to face when I get there. Because he says in verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit warns me in town after town that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. Every once in a while, you know, God doesn't normally let us in on our future and and what's going to happen. It's it's follow me one step at a time. That's the walk of faith. But there are times and, and seasons in our life where God in a sense, to prepare us, does let us in a little bit and give us a little bit of understanding about what may be ahead. Not to intimidate us, not to scare us off, but just to prepare us for what may happen so that we aren't totally blindsided by what's coming. Every once in a while, that's what God will do for us through His Holy Spirit. I'm sure that's happened to you in your life. It's certainly happened to me in my life. As a pastor, there are many times where as I'm ministering to someone, especially with physical illness, 
that there are many times where God sort of, in a sense, lets me in on is, that, that this is going to be ultimately okay. That, that they're going to get through this and recover. There are other times where God sort of lets me in on that this is not going to end well. And you just need to know that ahead of time. And so, you know, there, there's different ways God does that in our lives to sort of prepare us for what's down the road. And that's exactly where Paul's coming from here. So verse 24, but I do not consider my life's worth anything to myself. I want to stop there. Because these next few minutes we have will probably end here with verse 24. There's so much here. First of all, this is what Paul is not saying. He's not saying his life isn't worth anything. In fact, he's saying just the opposite. He is acknowledging the great value and worth of human life, including his. What he is saying is this. Recognizing that my life is worth something, that it is of great value, I'm not going to live keeping that worth and value of my life to me, to myself. I'm going to give it away. That's what he's saying here. I have learned not to keep my life for me, I have learned that the greatest worth and value of my life is seen in giving it away. Isn't this exactly what Jesus taught his disciples? When he said over and over again, in fact, it's recorded in every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus said something similar to this. He said, if you want to save or find your life, you'll what? Lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will what? Find it or save it. Now obviously that's counterintuitive to us as a normal human being. I'm not going to give up my life. What's that all about? For most human beings... It's look out for number one. It's all about self. But Jesus taught, both by example and in his teaching, that the true way to discover one's worth and value of their own life is actually to lose it and give it away. That's where you and I will really discover the value and worth of our life. Wow. What a concept. What a principle that Paul here is modeling and teaching and going along with just what Jesus taught as well. And then notice what Paul says. I do not consider my life's worth anything to myself so that I may finish my task and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Note this. Another great, important principle. Paul is saying that many Christians have a difficulty finishing well. We start very well, but many have a hard time sustaining it over the long haul and finishing it well and crossing the finish line well in life, in ministry, in anything. And Paul gives us the secret of how you and I finish well. 
It's by continually being in a position and place where we live selflessly and sacrificially rather than selfishly. It's in continually being in a place where I'm willing to give my life away, understanding that that's where the true value and worth of my life is found. Not in keeping my life, but in giving it away. And yet we know that throughout our earthly life, at any time, self can rear its ugly head and want to preserve it. To where at any point in this continuum of our Christian life, we can go, you know what? I'm not living selflessly and sacrificially anymore. I'm I'm not looking out for the interest of others anymore. I'm looking out for me. And what Paul is saying is the moment we revert back to living for self, instead of living selflessly and sacrificially, we won't finish well. Because we'll never then be able to complete the task and ministry that God has for us. Because the tasks and ministry that God places upon us as His followers and disciples can only be completed and finished when we are in that selfless, sacrificial state of being willing to give up our lives instead of holding on to our lives. And wow, again... What a challenge to us even in the day and age where we know that the Bible teaches that as we get closer to the return of Christ and at the end of the age, that the number one characteristic of human beings on planet earth will be from 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, that people will be lovers of their own selves. Self will be the number one thing. And so how difficult is it for us as Christians to be living in a foreign world to us where we're being taught by our Lord and even shown by our Lord that our lives are to be all wrapped up in being selfless and sacrificial and yet we're dumped into a tank where everybody else wants to live for self. And how do we navigate that without being caught up in the way of the world and just go that way. Well, the only way we can do that is through continual spiritual growth. Because without that, self is going to wedge its way in there. And all of a sudden, we're going to wake up one day and we're going to go, I'm done living for others. I'm going to start looking out for number one. And so what Paul's saying here is so profound. Because notice again the words of Paul. I do not consider my life's worth anything to myself so that I may finish my task and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. If my heart at any point becomes hardened towards others, and lacks that love and tenderness for other people, then I'm going to begin to start thinking of myself rather than them, and there goes ministry, and there goes my lack of completion of the task that God has laid before me. 
Paul says the only way we stay on course and keep the kind of heart that God wants us to create, that, that heart of Christ in our lives, is by being in a position where we're willing to give our lives away every day. And that ties into exactly what Jesus said to his followers when he said, if you want to be one of my disciples, here's what you have to do. It wasn't a suggestion. It was an absolute necessity. Jesus says, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. In other words, Jesus saying, the only way to stay in this place is to die to self every day. And that's what Paul's teaching us here. Again, he's not saying that our lives aren't worth anything. He's saying our lives are of great worth and value. But their worth and value is going to become more evident as we're willing to live selflessly and sacrificially, not when we're willing to live for self. I do not consider my life's worth anything to myself so that I may finish my task and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. And that may be the, that may be the fuel here as well that God, or that Paul was allowing the grace of God to so operate in his life it could place him in that place where he was willing to take up that cross daily and die to self and live selflessly and sacrificially so that he could finish his task and the ministry that God had given to him. Not become hard-hearted, but stay tender and loving towards others. This is a challenge for all of us. And yet, In it, we see the heart of Paul. He so wanted God to use his life to touch and impact other people's lives that he desired to to stay in a place where God could use him to strengthen others, to encourage others, to comfort others. And yet Paul understood the only way I can do that is if I don't make life about me and that I'm willing every day to give my life away. To lose my life so that I might save it. What great principles Paul is sharing with us here. Now next week, we're going to finish out this chapter and we're going to see, to me, some of the most important verses in all the book of Acts. As we wrap up for this year and head into the next year, where we once again see the heart of Paul for people. Before I pray tonight, again, just bear with me. I just feel very impressed by God for this. That just to ask one more time, is there someone in our life right now that we have become hardened to 
or that we are becoming hardened to. And God wants us to remain tender towards. May we glean from Acts 20 and the example of the Apostle Paul tonight that the only way we will continue to minister effectively for Christ is to maintain a heart like Christ for others. A heart that can only be produced through the power of the Holy Spirit, but but a heart that God wants to, to create within each of us as His children. A heart like Jesus that's willing to say that no matter what others have done to me, I'm not going to allow my heart to grow hard towards them. And so I would ask tonight for all of us, for God to do what He needs to do in our lives to keep us tender and loving towards someone rather than to become hardened towards someone. Let's pray. God, we we are so thankful God, that your heart towards us never grows hard. You always remain tender towards us. It doesn't mean that you agree or like with everything that we do or say. But you never close the door of your heart to any of us. We may not always feel it, but by faith we know, God, that even if we have miserably failed you, that the door to you is always open. You never close that door. You never seal that door. We may have to come back to you in repentance, but the door's always open. God, I pray that in only a way that the Holy Spirit of God can do in our lives, that we would allow you to create in us that kind of heart for others. Because, God, we know that as time goes on, as we live in close and prolonged contact with even our brothers and sisters in Christ, God, that there are certain people that we can become hardened to. That we can begin to seal ourselves off. Whether it's to protect ourselves or whatever the motivation is. And God, we understand the purpose of boundaries at times in our lives. But God, that's not where we're coming from tonight. 
we're talking about a situation where because of self, we've grown hard. And God, help us to lay self down and stay tender and be like Jesus and have a heart like Jesus towards others, God. In this day and age where many hearts are continually growing cold, help us, God, to always have a a warm heart for people just like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, come back on Sunday. We got good stuff for you. We'll see you then. Have a great week.